everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, a Dean of Metal, with my co-host, Chris Kay. Each week, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands that we all know and love. Every week, we also like to discuss bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be checking out, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc., anything we want to talk about. Right, and this week on episode 15, we're going to be discussing the career of Iron Maiden. We're going to be talking about our experiences with Maiden from their videos to concerts that we've been to and so forth. Later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best. With this week's Big Four Iron Maiden moments. Those are moments that mean a lot to us, moments that we think are the biggest to our Iron Maiden experience and hopefully your Iron Maiden experience. We've also got another What Should You Be Listening To? All right, but before we begin, let's recap what we discussed last week on episode 14. Last week, we talked about albums that turned 30 in 2020. Uh, So we talked about bands like Judas Priest, Dio, Iron Maiden, Megadeth, Testament, Creator, Deicide, Obituary, and of course, Death. So if you missed last week's episode or any of the previous ones, be sure to stream or download all our episodes from your favorite podcast platforms like Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. And please don't forget to rate us or leave a review. Chris, what was our big four last week? So last week we picked our big four fantasy lineups. And I got to say, I feel like I made a mistake on last week because the band that inspired that idea got left off of my list. Somebody wants a mulligan. (laughs) Yeah, I want a mulligan. Uh, (laughs) That would be Skid Row with Sebastian Bach. All those guys are still around. Sebastian Bach says he's reached out to the original band. The other guys say they don't want anything to do with them. I know, but come on, guys. You just need to get past your ego for the fans. We want to hear them. So, yeah, last week was Big Four Fantasy lineups. I don't know who I'm going to kick off that list, but <laughs> let's uh, let's have a mulligan. So, basically, to check out our list, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and let us know what you like uh, about our list, or if you think you can do better. And then let's start things off with uh, what should you be listening to? Kenneth, how about you start off? All right, so this one's another one of those strange ones um, that's not necessarily uh, one of those things where, you know, you, you, you pick something new or pick something that's you know stands out. My what should you be listening to this week is related to our main topic, Iron Maiden. And I think everyone should be checking out Iron Maiden video on YouTube for Rock and Rio. It is a video of the Legacy of the Beast tour that happened last year, and it is outstanding. You know, you and I, Chris, saw the show. We know how good it was. That Rock and Rio performance is amazing. It's awesome. Check it out. Yeah, I've watched it, or at least some of it. Uh, you sent it to me, and yeah, it's 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 like going to the concert. I mean, it's it's obviously the best that we can do in this this era that we're in right now is is watch old concerts on on the the computer. Unfortunately, 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's an immersive show. It, it makes you feel like because there's lots of shots from the audience and, and yeah, changing angles. A and lot of deep shots. It, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and it and it's great vocal performances. So I mean, I definitely agree with you on that one. I think it's better than the first Rock and Rio that they came out with in 2000 or yeah, 2000. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't I don't know if it's better or not, but uh, it's definitely a different show, and it's I mean, it's really cool. Yep. So, um, so my pick this week is a band that I kind of just recently discovered by accident. Um, I was searching for something else and just kind of came across this, and that's usually the way I find these bands. You do that a lot. Um, yeah, just by accident. Um, but uh, it's a band called Anthem out of uh, Japan, and they sing in English, so it's it's accessible to to everyone. And um, they released quite a few albums since the 80s. I had never heard of them, but I, I happened across this song called uh, Immortal Bind. It's from a 2006 album, Immortal. And it's just, it's really rocking. It's, it's progressive metal. Heavy metal, progressive metal, I would say. They kind of fit into the, 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 the mold. Just, this song just hit me so hard. I listened to it several times. Uh, they've gone through a couple different singers, just like any U.S. band would. <laughs> the lineups changed a little bit, but they, they, they've had a pretty consistent sound since they reformed in the year 2000. Uh, they broke up for a little while, of, a few years, but uh, they, there's there's quite a range of what they, they sound like since they started in the 1980s and have uh, you know been producing music since then. So I was, I was really impressed. I listened to a few of the, the other albums just kind of checking it out and everything that i heard i really enjoyed so i'm gonna keep checking them out and you should too that's cool and i will all right well this week we're talking about iron maiden both you and i you you and i are are different ages and uh, we both have different experiences when it comes to iron maiden but the one thing that you and i can both agree upon is that they're one of our favorite bands and it's difficult to, to to really describe how much Iron Maiden means to me. Uh, I mentioned it in our first first episode because uh, they're, they're my number two band, and it's just you know just like that. I mean, more than anything, I mean Metallica and Iron Maiden mean so much to me, and it's it's you know I'll go out of my way to go to an Iron Maiden show when they come to town. I'll go out of my way for Metallica. I mean, hell. January of last year, I went to, I went to Arkansas to go see him because I missed him when they came to Houston. Uh, Metallica, speaking you know, speaking of Metallica, Iron Maiden, I have seen every time they've come to Houston since 2008. I may have may have missed one show. I'm not sure. I wish I could say that, but I haven't. I mean, there's there's been a multitude of of reasons why I I specifically didn't go. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I've been to two shows, and that's not nearly enough. Yeah, no. I mean, let's 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 start with my experience. You know, um, how I got into Iron Maiden and, and stuff like that. In nineteen, I guess in, in nineteen eighty two, they released uh, Number of the Beast. So that's their third album. That was the first album of Bruce Dickinson. I mean, it's kind of common knowledge, so we don't need to go over that. By that time, um, they were still not really in the United States. They weren't a, a headline act. They were still an opening band, but they were starting to break in the states. 
I didn't get to see a concert from them for a few years until a few years later. But I I picked up on their videos for Number of the Beast and Run to the Hills. I saw them on MTV as well as a local cable show that came out of uh, one of the local high schools where I grew up. They would play that video, those two videos all the time. That was my first experience with Iron Maiden, and it, it just it immediately grabbed me. But at that time, I was absorbing anything and everything that was heavy metal. Judas Priest had come out with uh, Screaming for Vengeance. All that stuff was just so new and fresh to me. Iron Maiden just was one of those bands that they were like clockwork. 1982, Number to Beast. 1983, Peace of Mind. 1984, Power Slave. You could count on them. And those were the, was, that was my first early experience with Iron Maiden, and it grabbed me quick. You know what's funny is, even though it's almost 20 years later, when I get into Iron Maiden, or let's say 15, it's closer to 15, my experience isn't a whole lot different. I really got into them watching music videos, which I saw, I believe, on VH1 Classic, but, I mean, it could have been MTV or somewhere else like that, but I, I remember watching music videos for metal, and I came across Run to the Hills, which was one of the ones I really distinctly remember, and uh, Two Minutes to Midnight, and so I I heard the music, and it just grabbed me. So I went out and bought one of the albums, or actually a couple of the albums, and and I'm always somebody that takes a little while to digest. You know, when whenever I listen to a new album, I listen to it over and over a few times. Was that? I said I'm like that too. Yeah, I mean, I just I wanted to fully get into each album, so I would I would go through that one, and then it maybe a month later start listening to the next one you know maybe i put it in and listen one time but not really like fully devouring it until you know i was done with the last one or not necessarily done but you know ready to move to the next step you know it's kind of funny like it's a different time period it's a different uh experience in that they weren't brand new albums but i kind of had a very similar experience in a way yeah and it it, because i think for the most part, that's just everyone's experience with anything, you know. It and, and a lot of times when you go back, like for me, let, let's just touch on a different band. When I got into metal, you know, I began to discover bands like Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple. All of a sudden, I, I, I get a, I get an album from Led Zeppelin. I'm like, oh, that's them, you know? That's that's Led Zeppelin. I didn't know that, you know. Yeah, and just because yeah. the album had the song that I didn't know that I didn't know the name of. For instance, like um, the fourth album, the untitled album that has Stairway to Heaven on it. Well, that also had Black Dog, and that also, that also had Rock and Roll on it. I'm like, oh, so that's the same band. I didn't know that. Because that's how fresh I was to, to, to rock and hard rock and heavy metal. All I knew, at that time, all I knew about was Kiss. And I, I, could, I would hear songs on the radio, because Led Zeppelin was played on the radio. And you're like, oh, that's that same band. And then when, when I heard stuff off of Led Zeppelin 3, I'm like, oh, that's that's Led Zeppelin 2. Holy crap, you know? And so it, it was one of those things. Someone like yourself who's going backwards and discovering stuff, Iron Man is a little more distinctive in terms of their vocals. You know, it, it's hard not to it, to under, to realize that Bruce Dickinson is the singer. I mean, it, he's so distinctive. Robert Plant's distinctive too, but sometimes, you know, there's, there's certain 
interludes that are long in between. You don't hear his voice. You catch that music and you hear it and you say, oh, that's, I didn't realize it was Zeppelin. But your experience going backwards and catching Iron Maiden at the time you did, I, I think is one of those incredible experiences that you, you when you discover the old band and you say, wow, these guys are really good. You know, and this is amazing stuff. You realize, wow, this was a long time ago, but it's still good shit. So, you know, the same way when I discovered Led Zeppelin had already been around for so many years. Deep Purple had already broken up five, six times by the time I discovered it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, Change lineups. And, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, right after I discover them, they they literally got back together, you know, in 1984 with, with you know, uh, with the Perfect Strangers album. So that was pretty cool. I'm like, wow, they're back together. But at that time, I wasn't going into concerts. Yeah. Not going into, I, I wasn't going to concerts. You, you've got a really cool experience to get made in that way. And it's funny because I, I remember those shows you're talking about on, on VH1. They would have like those two-hour metal show blocks like on like a Friday night or Saturday or something like that. Yeah, it was also funny about those shows was it, it didn't really like differentiate between different what we know it now as the, the specific genres of metal. Like everything was metal, so it just it just played everything and that's the way it was back then when they played the headbangers ball yeah you know i mean headbangers ball had had sod as their intro music you know they would play indians and then the next video after that they would play you know ace frilly's you know into the night song you know Mm -hmm. and then then, you know they would go back and they'd play overkill you know elimination you know and then later on you'd see a a video from uh, kicks or or um, LA Guns. I mean, so they played everything because every, everything was metal. Some was yeah. hard, some were harder than others. That was it. I remember li- watching a video for Mother. I think it was Mother, or maybe it might. Regardless, it was a it was a uh, Danzig song, and then the next one was like uh, Hanoi Rocks or something like like it just, just was so off putting to me because it was like this is. It's not the same thing, but, you know, that's me coming in years later when there's, there's, you know, the development of the different genres. Yeah. So. But, and that, and that was weird because I, I was kind of having that, a similar thought just, uh, I don't know, maybe earlier today or yesterday. I was thinking about how back when, when I grew up listening to metal in the 80s, people listened to, to Rat people listened to poison to cinderella and those same people were listening to testament overkill metallica anthrax and they, yeah. those same people were listening to iron maiden and judas priest because it was it wasn't just there was no hair metal they didn't they didn't call it that the closest thing and i don't even think that that term was used was pop metal but i don't I, like i said i don't even think that was used if it had guitars and it had long hair you know, it was metal. Yeah. And but but at one point, I mean, we all know this that when the thrash bands started getting big, they did they had an attitude about the bands like Rat and and Poison, etc. They didn't want anything to do with them. They yeah, personally themselves, they didn't want anything to do with them, but in in terms of fandom, everybody loved their I mean, think about the Monsters of Rock tour that 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 went on with Van Halen. Van Halen is not a metal band. And they especially weren't a metal band with, with Sammy Hagar at the helm. I mean, yeah. they were much harder, if you want, with Dave than they were with Sammy. Van Halen's a headline act with Sammy. Uh, the second band on the bill was 
the scorpions. Okay, so they're essentially a cross between hard heavy metal and and what would become pop hair metal because they were that album the one that had no one like you on it that song was pretty hard you know it wasn't that was blackout uh, yeah blackout exactly so that album that song no one like you even though there was there's soft interludes i mean it's got a heavy riff but it wasn't like a a, you you wouldn't consider it like a pop metal i love you kind of song It, it it was sexual but that's the way scorpions have always been yeah, but I, th- I think the difference, what, what qualified what the thrash guys were accepting of was the dressing like women thing was not cool to them. You know, guys like Sammy Hagar, yeah, he wasn't a, a metal guy, but he, uh, you know, he didn't dress like a chick. No, that was Dawkins who played at, right right before Metallica, or right, right after Metallica. <laughs> On that tour, you know, so yeah, so then Scorpions, you got Dokken, who's basically a you know, and I love you pop metal band, then Metallica, and then the Led Zeppelin copy band. They were just big for a couple of years. You go to the Monsters Rock show, and the first band you see is Kingdom Come, and they're kind of like a Led Zeppelin clone playing hard rock. Then Metallica comes out, kicks everybody's ass. I mean, they kick all up and down the lineup, kick everybody's ass. Then you got Dokken, who's got to follow that. And it's like they had no hope, you know. <laughs> and even Don yeah. knew it. Even even Don knew it at the time. He's like, "Shit, we got to follow these guys." I mean, they had the same management, so that's kind of how they knew things, you know. And then that's rough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, the Scorpions, and then Van Halen. It's a great bill, but you think about that. It's like, wow, you know, Metallica didn't fit that at all, but yet that broke Metallica just as much as Ozzy did when when. Ozzy took Metallica out. And you think about it, Ozzy took Metallica. Ozzy's not even close to Metallica music. But in 86, he took him out on tour. Yeah, but he, he was still, like, dark. You yeah. know, he, he still had that, that that vibe about him that he wasn't... There, there was something that, that just... Because he was, he was the, he, at some point he was the singer of Black guys. Sabbath, you know. So his songs were, were, were... They weren't love songs. They weren't pop metal songs. But they weren't as hard as Metallica, uh, you know. So Ozzy had, had, you know, because he was the former singer of Black Sabbath, he had street cred. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, but Do- Dawkins didn't really have any street cred. No, they didn't. But they, but they were popular, and and they were coming off of Under Lock and Key, which was a big album for him. So they had, they had the album sales. You know, Metallica yeah. didn't at that point. They they were not there yet. But this definitely helped. But regardless, you know, going back to the main subject, Iron Maiden, you know, that they were like the perfect blend in between. You could, you could, they could be hard. They were never really soft. I mean, there's very few soft songs from them. Remember Tomorrow, Strange World. And then there's, there's that acoustic song that's on, uh, on Killers. And even the soft, soft, the, the soft songs that they did, like Children of the Damned, sped up in the middle and you know blew out it was sort of like a how Metallica's one you know slow and then it sped up at the end very simple but the the key also that they were playing in is is not like a a soft lovey song even that like remember tomorrow still has that same vibe of of metal even though it's not a a heavy song 
I mean, it it still has that same vibe. It fits perfectly into the album, and it it's still a dark sounding song. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's not a love song. <laughs> so, exactly, but you're right. I mean, it's 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 all about how the song is written and, and it's the presentation executed. Exactly. So, you know, my experience being number of the beast peace of mind they come out with power slave in 1984 and they go on tour and so i see a commercial on mtv that says come see iron maiden at radio city music hall january whatever 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 you know 1984 they don't they don't say the year so this is coming in january i had been wanting to go to shows and i so i i begged my aunt i said can i can you buy me tickets for this concert? She says, okay, I'll buy you the tickets. But how many tickets do you want? I don't want you going by yourself. I said, well, let's buy, buy, can we buy two? And I'll find somebody to go with me. So we bought two. Uh, I found someone, I, my best friend at the time, his name was Nelson. I had him, you know, he agreed to go. He paid for the ticket. And his brother took us to the show, dropped us off in front of Radio City Music Hall, picked us up at, after the show. And for that being the first show, for me to ever see is not there's not much better that you can get to go see it for being your first show and then having Queensryche as a special guest because Twisted Sister didn't want to play in New York City yeah that's pretty cool it, you know and I was into Queensryche at that time so it was it was a very special show for me yeah I can I mean I can see that you're 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 basically getting the the very best of the years you know of the early era of Iron Maiden, right? I mean, the the only exceptions being the stuff that that came, a li- you know, later once he rejoined the band, meaning Bruce. Right. But but um, yeah, no, I mean that would have been amazing to see. And I mean, I, I guess luckily my first show was before I I don't know if it was before they started separating, you know, between the the, the two concepts of of uh, these are the 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 shows where we're going to play a mixture of older songs and we're going to play the, the, you know, the, they had just begun to do that because, um, when they reunited, they did a, a real short, like, I wouldn't even call it a one month. Like I think it was a two month tour in 99 before they wrote the album for, um, brave new world. They did the brave new world tour, which they basically played like five, five or six songs off of. And then the following tour after Brave New World, then he did the Dance of Death album. They went to the, they did that album after Dance of Death. When they promoted that album, the next concert tour that they did, they uh, which was two thousand five, they did they played only songs from the first four Iron Maiden albums. I actually watched that concert yesterday. It, <clears throat> the one that's on YouTube is from Uvelli, something like that, uh, Sweden, and they play only songs from the first four Iron Maiden albums. And it, it opens up very similar to the way the Beast on the Road tours opened up with the Ides of March as the as the intro song, and then they break into um, Murders in the Room arc. Okay. Uh, and then from there it goes on to... The, the similarities are, are a little similar to the Number of the Beast tour, Beast on the Road, but then they, they th- start throwing in songs from Peace of Mind... And then, it's funny, at the end of the show, they say, okay, so that we're not going to come back here next year. And, you know, everybody starts to boo. 
But, you know, the reason why we're not coming back here is because it's going to be very difficult to play here in the winter. So people were kind of like, huh? What do you mean? He goes, you know, so we'll be coming back to, you know, such and such places uh, in the winter because we'll be coming back with our new album, which was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at that point, the new album was going to be Matter of Life and Death. So when they played, you know, then they, they do the Matter of Life and Death tour. They only played Europe and uh, some other, they did not play the States. That show would not have gone well in the States. They played, uh, they played the whole, the whole album, Matter of Life and Death. They didn't, they didn't play it in order, but they played every song from it. Then after that, that was 2006, 2007. Then they come, they, they come out with, I think some of the home videos. And then they did the Somewhere Back in Time tour, the greatest hits. And they mentioned that I was watching a show yesterday from, the Matter of Life and Death tour, they mentioned, we don't have a new album come out, but next year we're coming back and we're going to be doing something old for you guys. And they started referencing the fact that they were going to be doing that kind of tour. So it was about that time, right after Dance of Death, that they started doing those alternating tours. You know, new album, legacy, new album, legacy. Gotcha. Well, so I, my first show was in 2008. I mean, a, a pretty good mix of things. You, you got Aces High, Two Minutes to Midnight, Revelations, The Trooper, Wasted Years, Can I Play With Madness, Number of the Beast, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I mean, so you you got a lot of old stuff from the early era of uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah, that was the um, Somewhere Back in Time tour. Yeah, so no new songs. I mean, just old stuff. You know, that, that nostalgia tour. I mean, very cool, very, you know, just bombastic show but so going again this last year to see the legacy of the beast tour that was it was very reminiscent just more exciting i mean i i honestly liked this last year better than the first show mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i mean i put it put it this way my two favorite iron maiden shows are the first one and this legacy of the beast tour i mean i it's it, there's not a lot bad there's nothing bad that you can really say about the legacy of the beast tour i mean mm-hmm. people people are going to complain that they played you know too many new era songs including two blaze songs um they played two i think two songs from the the reunion era so i don't care personally you know it, they fit perfectly this oh, it was fantastic. This, this was one of those, you know, the legacy of the beast. It, it was they what they did try to do, and I, I, I will go with this. So when you when you saw them somewhere back in time, they had just mm-hmm. released the the greatest hits album somewhere back in time. Mm-hmm. So it was a greatest hits that was referencing basically everything from Seventh Son and older, which is kind of funny because I didn't even think about it this way. But they were promoting an album. Yeah, exactly. They were, they were <laughs> promoting. They were promoting a greatest hits, yeah. right? And then when I went to see them four years later, I think it was, or, or six years later, in two thousand fourteen, they were promoting. I didn't see them for the for the uh, Final Frontier tour, but I did see them for the tour that was representing something. It was the Legacy tour of reminiscent to Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. I don't recall them actually promoting anything. I was hoping that they would release this show as a as a DVD, but they ended up what they ended up releasing was they re-released on DVD the 
show made in England that came out in 1988, which was the Seventh Son tour. Mm. But I did, I have seen them with a new album, the Book of Souls. I saw the Book of Souls tour, and they promoted the crap out of that that record. Now, when we went to see them on Legacy, the Legacy of the Beast tour was promoting the video game. So they they do they do try to tie it into something. Yeah the the uh, the mobile game. Yes, the mobile game. Yeah, which I tried playing, but I I just couldn't get into it. it maybe and maybe it was the time that I was playing it because it seemed like it was almost necessary for you to have a lot of friends on it, um, but there were were nobody playing it at the time, so it was it was really difficult to progress without having other people available. Yeah, you kind of kind of unfortunate because it was well well done. I mean, is it? graphically it was very nice. It it felt like a lot of other uh, RPG style games that are on mobile devices. So it had it had some really cool elements, and you could you could get all these different eddies. And I mean, I thought it was very cool, but it just that 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 requirement of having other people playing it was the detriment. Yeah, that kind of blows. So. Talking about their the concert experiences with Iron Maiden, I've seen Iron Maiden nine times, and for a while there, I was seeing them on, on every tour. So I saw Power Slave tour, so so essentially the World Slavery tour. I saw them the Somewhere on Tour tour. I saw the Seventh Tour of Seventh Tour tour, uh, and then <laughs> I, that's a that's an awesome name. I love the way they named their tours. Yeah. Then I saw I I missed. A tour at that point that that's when i kind of went into this little weird phase with maiden and um just music in general I, I i was getting married at the time so in 1990 91 i had just gotten a job in the record store so that was cool but at the same time i had the job at the record store but i'm going to, you know to college at the same time i'm dating who would become my, my first wife at the time i get married in 91 so there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on that, that basically prevent me from doing concerts. At the same time, it also prevents me from kind of delving deep into music. I don't know why that was. Even though I, I started working at the record store, there was this thing. I, I guess I was just narrowly focused on certain things. Regardless of that, in 92, they come around with the Fear of the Dark tour. But by that time, Iron Maiden's presence in the United States began to shrink. I mean, I saw them at Radio City Music Hall. Now, they, that was a small venue, but the reason why it was a small venue is because they were actually scheduled to play seven nights at Radio City Music Hall, which is the equivalent to doing two nights at a big arena. So, um, Or maybe even three nights at a big arena. But they ended up canceling two of the shows because Bruce got sick. Um, so they played five nights. The next year, I saw them at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, it's MSG. I mean, that's that holds 20,000 people. And I see, I moved to Florida, and I get this, I see them at the Hollywood Sportatorium, which is, I think, 15,000 people or something like that, 12, 12 to 15. Small little old converted airplane hangar. I mean, literally, it's a metal box. Then I see them at a place called Sunrise Musical Theater. It went from there to think about, you know, in, in Houston terms, going from the Toyota Center sold out to playing um, in Sugarland at the at the Smart Financial Theater. Oh yeah, it's a huge difference. It, yeah, it's a big it's a big drop and we we've talked about this before and I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more in detail. 
bands, it doesn't matter if you know, your name is your your name, but if you don't put out good music, people are not going to buy it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the, that's just the bottom line, and people are not going to go see you. Oh yeah, there's that band Iron Maiden. Well, they, they, you've already turned off all the fans because your album's not good, or your album is not as good as it used to be. There's still like, I'm sorry, in my opinion. I know your opinion is going to differ because I know this is one of your favorite albums. But in my opinion, Somewhere in Time is not as good as Power Slave or Number of the Beast. Okay? So, you know, you have that, but then, you you know, you're still, you're still riding a wave of popularity. It's still a very good album. And to the fact they, they broke it with really good songs. You know, and then Seventh Son of a Seventh Son is they just con- or they continue. But then... All of a sudden, now you have no prayer for the dying. The songs are much, much weaker. And you cannot live off of what you did the album prior when you're going on tour on an album that's nowhere near as strong. It's a weak album. And so I I lost them there. And then they come out with Fear the Dark, arguably the worst Iron Maiden album up to that time. Arguably. Arguably. Because... In, in reality, most fans at that time only knew about a couple of songs from that album. Wasting Love. I mean, it was it was an attempt at having a ballad because that's what everybody else had. That's what, you know, mind you, grunge is, is killing everybody at this point, but they're still, you know, you're still bands like the pop metal, hair metal bands that are trying to get their ballads on the radio. Iron Maiden was too late to the party. And on top of that, Iron Maiden was trying to be like, the other bands were in the 80s they you know they were trying to be something they weren't when it came to fear of the dark and the only good song that i that i like on that album is fear of the dark i mean they've got a couple i mean be quicker be dead is not bad but yeah it's definitely not it's definitely not that great of an album to be honest i mean be, be quicker be dead I, you know uh, wasting love i think there's one other song in there is it um holy smoke no holy smoke was on the on no, holy smoke was, was on, on no prayer but they had a bring it wasn't i know bring your daughter was on no prayer too right yep so that tells you but fear of dark was i mean it was the strongest song in the album you got childhood's end which was which is a pretty decent song fear of the dark i mean be quicker be dead is is a pretty big one What's the song after Be Quick or Be Dead? From Here to Eternity, which is another in the series with uh, Charlotte the Harlot. So that song, that song was 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 pretty decent for them because they they played it they they played it in concert. Yeah, I, I like I like that one actually. Yeah, it's not too bad. But it, you see, I mean, I go to see them at, at, a, at a place where they, they, their attendance just dropped dramatically. Mm-hmm. Then they go into the Bruce Dickinson leaves. Okay, I mean, Adrian Smith had already left, you know, right before the, the the start of No Prayer for the Dying. Adrian Smith leaves. They bring in Yannick Gers, who was did the solo album with Bruce, uh, Tattooed Millionaire. You know, so he's he's a great addition because his songwriting is really really good. The post reunion of with Bruce Dickinson, his uh, his song. I mean, they some of the best songs are, are are Yannick songs. But that being said, you go into the Blaze era. They hire Blaze ba- Bailey to replace Bruce Dickinson. You go into the, the Blaze era, and you come out with a relatively strong album, but at that point, you don't know what your fan base is anymore because people like Bruce, you know? And 
changing singers is hard. So they didn't come out with a number of, of the Beast type of album that was definitively better than anything they had done with Paul Diano at that time. So they didn't bring out an album that was as strong or stronger than a Bruce album prior. I mean, it was slightly better than Fear the Dark. Well, they, they went into a different direction. I mean, the, the song length is are all longer on that, that album. Um, I mean, you, you're introducing the concept of, of uh, intros that take a long time to get into the song. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a completely different style of writing in this album. You have no, you have no influence from Bruce, obviously. Right. I mean, you've got Yannick writing a lot more of the, the, the music on that album than the previous efforts. You've got uh, still several Steve Harris pen songs that are specifically Steve Harris, but it's just it's just almost experimentation. Like we've got to we've got to do something different because this is the new version of Iron Maiden, which well, is they which became is, a progressive metal band. It makes sense. Like you can't just bring in a new guy to do the exact same thing that the the previous singer w- was doing. I mean that's. That's the opposite of what they did with Paul when they replaced him. I mean, they replaced him with somebody that was much more high energy that that could, you know, direct the audience. It was it was a different experience. You know, it was, it was less punky than than what what they started as. So you're replacing a guy like Bruce. You you gotta you gotta go in a different direction. It makes sense, but it just wasn't what people wanted to see. Well, I mean, you, you know the song Sign of the Cross, and that's the first thing that people hear. That, to me, is a terrible intro. Even though it's a good song, I like the song, it's, it's a terrible intro to an album. Because every other album other than uh, Number of the Beast has a very powerful... And I, I, and I like Invaders, but it's not, it's not the same as the other ones. But you've got Ace is High... Where Eagles Dare, you know, the, these these very, very strong intro songs. And then you bring in Sign of the Cross, it's an 11-minute song, which feels like what they usually end the albums with, you know, like A Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, etc. And you're putting that at the beginning, and it's a long-plotting song. You're going to lose a lot of people. Man, it bored me to tears as soon as I got it. Now, granted, the first thing that people heard, the public heard, was the single man on the edge. That was okay. And you, should, you can sit there and say, hey, you know what? This ain't so bad. Yeah, but Man on the Edge sounds like a better intro song than Sign of the Cross does. Right. Or even Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies should probably have been the, the intro song, period. Yeah, I think Sign of the I Cross mean, could have been like the third or fourth song, and it would still would have been just as effective. But to have that long, and I mean, it's like four minutes before it even farts. You know, and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> but that That's, being said, I, I like the song. It's just placed at the wrong point in the album. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, we saw the song in concert, and every you know, a lot of people like that song. Bruce does that song a tremendous amount of justice. Kudos to Bruce for not being afraid of his predecessor. And, it, and obviously, he had to do it the first time because, you know, Joey when he joined Belladonna. the band. Huh? Joey Belladonna. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Dave, he had to do the Paul song, so that's not, that's you know that's here, neither here nor there. But then twenty years later, or whatever it is, he has to you know he doesn't have to do 
the the Blaze songs. He could sit there and say, Harry, I'm not doing it. But credit to him, you know, he knew those were good songs. And he says, you know what? I'm doing my job. I am the singer. This is an Iron Maiden song. I'm going to sing the Iron Maiden song. And so he sings to this day, Sign of the Cross. He sings The Klansman. Even back then, he did, you know, they did Lord of the Flies. I think they did Man on the Edge, and he did um, Future Real. So he's Future Real, and it was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, he's played those songs. So, like I said, kudos to Bruce for recognizing that there are still good Iron Maiden songs. And he, he only makes them better. So, going into this, quote-unquote, this tour, I didn't see Iron Maiden again. I didn't see Iron Maiden until they came out with Virtual 11. At Virtual 11, at, at this time, I mean, Future Real, I, I, when I heard Future Real, I'm like, ooh, 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 Iron Maiden, they might be back, they might be back. And then the album just went south really quick. And uh, yeah. I mean, the Angel and the Gambler just killed it for me. I mean, how many times can you repeat something? It's a it's a really disjointed album. It and 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 the recording process really tells why. They came in with no ideas and just kind of came up with stuff on the fly and sometimes it works and in this case it really didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't work at all. I mean, I get it that they that that Steve, you know, had built this recording studio uh in his property and by the time they did Virtual 11, it was an actual recording studio wasn't a mobile anymore but at the same time there's a thing that kind of i know he's the boss everyone everyone calls him the boss he's he's ari the boss but you're still a five man band at this point and you still have five different people who have five different opinions obviously he asserted himself enough to sit there and say you know what we're going to do this in my house you know or in my studio and i'm going to produce it and or they got some guy Nigel Green who basically was just turning the knobs for for Steve. They went in there with like you said with no ideas, no nothing. They recorded in the studio, but the problem was that they didn't have a taskmaster. They didn't have a guy, an official producer like Martin Birch, who would sit there and say, "Listen, that's not good enough," or "You might want to change that song. You might want to take out a couple of Angel and the Gamblers. You know, you might want to take out you know a couple of lines here and there." You might want to take out a few bars. A couple of angel of the gamblers. I like that. You know, because... Maybe like a 60 of them. Just. <laughs> I mean... It, it, oh, my God. I don't even want to get into it. So, now, but at this point, in the United States, because we have to clarify, elsewhere around the world, Iron Maiden, although they're not as strong as they used to be, they still can bring a crowd. But in the United States, the United States listening public, no matter what category you're talking about, are very fickle. And they they will let you know right away whether they think something is good or bad. Okay, And you cannot live off your legacy in the United States. Very seldom can you mm-hmm. do that while still trying to be relevant. Past topics, see the other episodes. <laughs> so I go to see them. In a club, Iron Maiden, with Blaze Bailey, Steve Harris, Dave Murray, Nico McBrain, and Yannick Gers, in a club no bigger than Warehouse Live. For for people who who are from Houston area, Warehouse Live is very small. People in the Florida area, I saw them at the Edge in Fort Lauderdale. This is a small club, and when I say club, we're talking maybe max two thousand people, 
maybe less in this particular club. So it's disturbing. It's awesome. If you're a fan and you really, really still love them, it's awesome to be that close. Yeah, there's no better experience. I mean, just being in in those small, intimate venues. Like I, I saw, I've said this before, I'm sure, but I saw Obscura mm-hmm. a few years back where I was inches away from the, the guitarist seeing every movement of his finger. I mean, the, you can't describe how awesome experiences like that are. Well, our last show before the coronavirus shut everything down. Overkill. You and oh, I. Oh, yeah, we were right on the front. We were on the rail. Great. And we're, we're, we can watch the guitar player, you know, have, have his little meltdown because he, his shit wasn't working for him, you know? <laughs> and he's throwing picks and he's, you know, he's trying to pick up chicks or whatever he's trying to do, you know, throwing picks at, at, picks at chicks. You see Bobby right in front of us. I mean, it was awesome. You know, there's no better experience. Blow his nose. <laughs> exactly. But on the flip side, Overkill have always been that band. I saw them 30 years ago. It was the only, the only other time I saw them. And it was an exact same size venue. As cool as that is, a band like Iron Maiden, it's almost disheartening to a degree. Oh, for sure. Iron Ma- I saw Iron Maiden at Madison Square Garden. Now I'm going to see them at the Edge in Fort Lauderdale. Holy crap. But to their credit, they still played like if it was Madison Square Garden. Now, that's 1996. That tour lasts a couple years. Um, They played all over the world. And they're getting ready at this point. Late 98, they're getting ready to do their third album with Blaze. And... um, they bring in Blaze to the office, and they said, Blaze, it's time to go. Sorry, son. We're bringing in another singer. And, you know, to his credit, he goes, are you bringing Bruce back? And he said, yes, we're bringing Bruce back. And uh, talking about Rod Smallwood, said yes. And Blaze turns around and says, Bruce Dickinson being an Iron Maiden is the best Iron Maiden that could be out there. And he bowed his head took his paycheck because they bought him off because he had written a couple of songs that appear on Brave New World, but they basically paid him for it. He took his paycheck and left. He has never been anything but gracious about his time in Iron Maiden. Maybe a little regretful that he didn't get a chance to do album number three, but he's always been I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Right, and of course, and what could have been. But, you know, the the songs that they put on there could have been pretty good. They're, they're, they're pretty good with Bruce. Yeah. Now, the world has this reunion. Now you've become a fan of Iron Maiden at this point. Yeah, and it's and it's funny that I, I, I come in right at the time that Bruce is rejoining the band, but I come in through other means. I'm watching old videos, listening to old albums. And I remember, I actually specifically remember the day I picked up uh, Brave New World. I drove into a um god what was that what was that record store uh that took it used to be blockbuster music and then it was going way far back um blockbuster music and then it i think it was called warehouse music oh sound warehouse no i think it was called warehouse music um at least here it was oh maybe here because i know i know i know in florida it was sound warehouse that that eventually got bought by blockbuster 
Okay, no, this was after Blockbuster. It was it was the the place that replaced it. Oh, I and don't know. So anyway, it was a, I believe it was a warehouse music, and it was not long for this world, unfortunately. And I think now it's a Skechers. <laughs> um, but but uh, I, I remember going in there and uh, I was looking for more Iron Maiden to listen to and I picked up Brave New World and I put it in and uh, the, the first track was uh, The Wicker Man and it just blew me away. I, and and I, I looked at, the, at that point because I didn't, I didn't really look at it. I just, I just picked up a new Iron Maiden album and made sure it was songs I hadn't heard. Like it, was, it wasn't a compilation or something like that. You know, and this was this was before the internet was really huge. I mean, we we were on um, DSL probably at the time, brand new DSL, uh, maybe maybe like a a T one or or T three or T one connection or something like that. You know, something something far back that that was the T ones and the T threes were business related. Um, DSL yeah. DSL was breaking through in in in. Uh, the late 90s early 2000s yeah so i mean it was it, we weren't in modern age you know we weren't weren't in the, these kind of speeds so doing a lot of research was you know time consuming <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i pick up this album immediately when i when i hear the 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 quality of it i look what's the what's the year this came out oh, least, oh man this just came out yeah, that was a you great know, album. It's sounding album, I mean, especially compared to Virtual Eleven. Virtual Eleven sounded like shit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so and I say just came out, and this was like probably two thousand four. I I had just started driving. I I was I was uh, you know a little bit younger than I am now, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we all were. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I remember hearing it and, and thinking, "Wow, this is this is really cool. This is this is new. This isn't one of those like first few albums." So, wow, this is this is fantastic. They're still kick, you know, kicking. They're still putting out great albums. Right. So it it really gave me because there's so many bands that I've picked up where I, you know I, the first couple albums are, are really kick ass, and then and then you get somewhere down the line, and it's like. What is this? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so to hear that that many years later, between you know the nineteen eighties, nineteen seventies, and two thousand two thousand three, when uh, Dance of Death came out, because I picked up that one not long after. Even though, as a as a graphic artist, when I saw the album cover, I was just disgusted. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it was just such a cool experience to see that this band was still still kicking still still putting out great music and then i was having trouble finding you know the stuff in between with with blaze um, okay so you had, you didn't at this point you hadn't heard the blaze stuff no it was it was many years before so that's so that's weird because you basically skipped the shit <laughs> yeah I, Lucky I, you. I just i just came in you know somehow like year 15 years later still in the 80s well it's funny cuz you get you get into them at the time of the reunion, but you break into them at the '80s stuff, right? So the the '80s stuff captures you, right? Yeah. You're 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 really enthralled with them, and and so a few years later, you're still into them. You say, "Oh," and you pick up this new album from them, which happens to be the reunion album. Which at this point, you don't really realize much of that. And no, I I really didn't. <laughs> I mean, I because and you get again, just as good is, an album. 
Yeah, again, this is this is a time when the internet is you know you're dialing up to get online, and and I I didn't realize there was this whole gap in between where Bruce wasn't there. Right, that that six year gap. Yeah. Same thing kind of happened with Judas Priest because I came in you know with them list, listening to them much later. You know, I heard Painkiller, and then the next album that I picked up was was a. Uh, Angel of Retribution, so I didn't really have that gap there, and it fit perfectly. It felt like it flowed into it, so it was it was interesting. It was, it was after that that I picked up uh, the stuff with Ripper. Same kind of experience. So that's cool. So for me, you know, when they got back together with Brave New World, I to me, I mean, I had I I wasn't disgusted with the with the Blaze stuff. I thought it was pretty decent, but it definitely. I had lost interest. So picking up Brave New World or, or hearing something, I'm like, okay, is this going to be just as good? You know, and, and also, wow, this is pretty damn good. But at the same time, there still was that mentality for me where I'm holding on to old Iron Maiden. I'm listening to Beast and Peace of Mind and Power Slave. And I wasn't a big fan of Somewhere in Time's sound. And I definitely wasn't as big a fan of with Seventh Sun sound because of that that they were moving in that whole electronic guitar sound, uh, keyboard guitar sound, and I I wasn't a big fan, but I still like the songs. But I wasn't a fan of the sound, sort of like Judas Priest and Turbo, just the whole synthesizer guitar is what I was thinking of. See, I I, I disagree with you, and we're, you know we're well aware of that. Mm-hmm. But I, what I liked about those albums also was the the songwriting. The, the guitar work that was on there, even though you don't you don't like the the distortion, the um, the guitar work is amazing. On no, those, the those gu- albums. yeah, the guitar work is. I mean, I'm not going to take away anything from their musicianship. I wasn't pleased with the actual synthesizer sound. That's yeah. the only thing that really dis- disturbed me. Now, the songwriting. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, you could sit there and say, you know, the wasted years or uh, what's the other song. Um, can I play with madness? You can argue that those songs are not as heavy as Two Minutes to Midnight and Aces High, but that's neither here nor there. I still like those songs. My beef with those albums is just the synthesizer sound, which, regardless, I mean, I like I love Seventh Son as songwriting wise, production wise, just not a fan of the guitar synth. But regardless, I pick up Brave New World and I'm like, wow, they're back to some degree. But there was still a little bit of disappointment with the long songs and the the slow intros, and I, so that's something to this day that I'm still getting used to when it comes to Iron Maiden. I think I finally have kind of grasped it, especially since I've become a fan of the Talking Maiden podcast. Those two guys have really done a, an excellent job of breaking down this each song on the album, each album, and then you know giving reasons why for certain things, giving production notes and all that stuff. I mean, literally deep diving into songs and albums. And it kind of gives the listener an understanding of this is what Iron Maiden is, and you kind of have to either, you know, like it or not. If if you're going to be a fan, this is what you're going to get. So it kind of made me realize that. I, I realize it now. Wasn't a big fan of it at the time, but still like songs like The Wicker Man, Brave New World, Ghost of a Navigator. Those are awesome songs. That album, that was the last album that Talking Maiden talked about. That album, front to back, is amazing. 
I mean, it's it's it really is. It, it is a really really good album. Yeah, it's unfortunate that there's still a lot of fans that have not given the new era with Bruce a, a solid chance. I mean, there's some people that listen to it and say, you know, this isn't for me. That's fair. You gave it a fair shake. That's great. But if if you really haven't given it that that fair shake, if you haven't listened to it a few times, it's unfortunate. Because there's a, I mean, out of Silent Planet, that is a cool song. The, the Wicker Man, like I said, it's it's a fantastic ripping intro to an album. Oh I mean, man, they're, they're, to start that off with an Adrian song like that, phew, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's an awesome awesome way to start an album. I mean, that is one of my that, that has become one of my favorite songs uh, over the last few years. I mean, it is. I hear that riff and it's just like yes, yes, it's time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Going along with that, the Dance of Death comes out a few years later, and it it it's still, you know, it is Iron Maiden. It's 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 trending the way they are now. It, it so again, it's one of those albums that I got to get used to. It's got a few songs that I like, so it becomes now Iron Maiden has found their niche and their groove as to what they would eventually become for the you know the next at this point. You know, if you go from Brave New World for the next 20 years, you know, it's been 20 years this year since since uh, Brave New World came out. That is their that is who they are. They are a for lack of a better term. They are a progressive metal band. They're not like Dream Theater, but the styles in which they write the song with the slow intros and, you know, certain time breaks, you know, the the time changes, you know, they're not like. Dream Theater in that regards where they're going back and forth and you know you got 10,000 different drum patterns and and this and that but they are doing time changes they are going back to certain things but it's not this shock yeah it's it's, it's long it's and drawn out <laughs> yeah so you know I, I at this point I have yet to see Iron Maiden in concert with the reunion um, for a variety of reasons so I move here in 2007, and the next year after I moved here in 2008, they come back and they, they come on the Somewhere Back in Time tour. So at this point, they've released three albums, Matter of Life and Death, Dance of Death, and Brave New World. I've gotten used to these long, this is Iron Maiden type of thing. I was not a fan, still not a fan. No one can convince me otherwise. I am not a fan of A Matter of Life and Death. One or two good songs, you know. You can argue with me to someone. You know, someone can argue with me, including the guys in Talking Maiden, that that's a great including album. Me. Including you. I mean, you, 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 and I have had this discussion privately. I am, you know, multiple times. You love the album. I've given it a listen twice because of you, and I still just cannot get into it. I just don't get into it. And you know, and then I was listening to uh, the Heavy Metal Hangover podcast. And Chris was talking about how this is one of his favorite albums. He was talking, and then he started talking about Final Frontier and has one of his favorite songs. But I just, I, I, I can't. It just, there's something about it that just doesn't hook me in. You know, you know what's funny though is we went to see the Legacy of the Beast, and they picked one of my least favorite songs on the album to play. That's the only song they played from the album, and that's that's one of my least favorite. 
Oh, for the greater good of God? Yeah, I, I just not. I've never been a huge fan of that particular track. It's a long track too, and I mean, I, I love a different world. I love the Pilgrim. I love uh, 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 brighter than a thousand suns. I mean, there, there's, there's so many better songs. The reincarnation of Benjamin Brig is, is a fantastic song. It's. I, I don't get it. I, I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like A Different World, and I like These Colors Don't Run. Those two songs. Yeah, it's a cool song, too. After yeah. that, it just it really just kind of, it, it's kind of got one steady pace to me. I mean, there might there's some ups and downs, yes. You know, don't get me wrong. But it just, when I well, see... Well, one, one steady pace, I mean, you want, one of your, your favorite bands, Metallica, has uh, Injustice for All. It has a very similar steady pace throughout the whole... Yeah, but it's, album. But it's bookended by two quick songs. Yeah. Okay. So yes, you were. But you see, but the difference is that album is oozing hooks left and right. I mean, that thing is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you, they this might as well just give you a hanger to hook it on because. Perspective on music. Huh. This definitely requires a different perspective on music than you know. It, it, you're right. It doesn't have a lot of hooks. It's just good music. So it, it's it's it, it's just a different taste, I guess. Yes, don't get like I said. Don't get me wrong. There's certain you know there are tons of fans that love this stuff. More power to them. I am not a fan of that album. Yeah. Like I said earlier in the podcast, if that show had come to the United States and they played the entire Matter of Life and Death album, that show tanks. And that's my personal opinion, only because. I understand the American yeah, you're probably concert, right. I mean, the concert goer. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I mean, if if they had played that that album in its entirety, it, it probably wouldn't have done too well. Um, but yeah, the the ears of the rest of the world definitely heard it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, now mind you, South America on the other hand, they they just insane for anything Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean. For sure, yeah. <laughs> the Iron Maiden could re- release a, an Iron Maiden uh, collector's piece of shit, and I mean a li- literal piece of shit, and they would they would just I don't want to use the term "eat it up" because <laughs> but you get where I'm going. Yeah, no, I mean, and the funny thing is, is that they're just so over the top crazy for for metal in general, not just Iron Maiden, but. I mean, it's, all, it's very reminiscent to how Japan really loves lots of different forms of metal, and they don't care. I mean, they, they can listen to a pop singer just as easy, easily as they can listen to Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this so this album, Matter of Life and Death, comes out in 2006. They don't do a, a States run. I go to see them a couple years later with the Somewhere Back in Time tour because they released that as a Greatest Hits album. So I'm thinking, wow, okay, this is a cool tour. So I know now that the next tour is going to be a album tour. And they come out with the album, The Final Frontier. Now, I did not give The Final Frontier any any chance whatsoever. I just, I listened to the, to the song El Dorado. It's a good song. I like it. Maybe not as strong as, as the history that I've already, you know, had with Iron Maiden for the last... 20 something years at that point but it's a decent song and 
but the unfortunately the, for me again the album is is the new style of Iron Maiden so I wasn't really into it and I didn't give it a chance now I've given it a chance now much better than I thought it was <laughs> and I, I admit that but in my opinion it's still not anywhere near as good as Brave New World nowhere near as good as Dance of Death um, and but it's it's not a turd like <laughs> virtual 11 was but I, I i'm not giving it a chance at this point you know when it when it came out so it, it's unfortunate but it also had to do with again you know this is 2000 it comes out in 2000 what 10 and there's a lot of things going on at that point in the, in the music industry yeah i mean i had just graduated from college i was uh Working my first job, I wasn't really doing much else other than working. And I've told you this before, but I worked in an animation studio, and I, I never saw the light of day <laughs> for for about a year and a half. So, um, and I, I mean that literally. Uh, so, I I I completely overlooked the album for a long time, and it wasn't it wasn't like I I listened to it and I didn't like it. I just really didn't even know it existed for a while right now in you know, so in 2010 i mean they, they did tour uh the states i mean but when i talk about tour they did uh one two three i mean less than 20 shows in the united states but around the world i mean they traveled europe a lot they played um japan mexico they played south america australia they did a lot more shows worldwide than they did in the united states Maybe it's because since the album wasn't selling well or because they weren't getting radio play on, on, on the newer rock stations. Who knows? But there was it was probably a wise choice that they played just the sheds during the summer and, and that was in not doing arena tour. Yeah. After that, that they go on the uh, Maiden... I, I call it the Maiden England tour, which is a, it was a replica of the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son tour. And that one... It was weird. They did the tour before they re-released Made in England video. But that's what it was. It was the Made in England World Tour um, in 2012. And it and that lasted for a while while they were in between albums. So the next album that would come out would be Book of Souls. And then everything changed for them. Uh, between from somewhere in the, the Somewhere Back in Time tour, one thing we failed to mention was they were flying on the Ed Force One plane, and Bruce was the pilot. We haven't talked about that. Yeah, it's, that, it's kind of unprecedented. Yeah, um, that's incredible. And so he takes he takes the band. I mean, he's literally piloting the band, and they're in a 7, I think a set, at the time it was a 757. It was a small plane. And I've been, that's pretty much the, the, the type of plane that I fly back and forth when I go to Florida all the time. It's a small 757. Not that I fly it myself. I, I'm a passenger. <laughs> but um, on the Somewhere Back in Time tour in 2008, they document it. They, they do, they're able to literally fly to a city, uh, play the show, leave, and, and you know go bounce around from city to city. They're not doing a major tour where they're playing you know, every night or every you know, five nights a week or anything like that. They're playing maybe once or twice a week. And they're flying. They did that for somewhere back in time tour, but on the Book of Souls tour, they did it again. 
and they did it with Ed Force One, but a new Ed Force One, this time a 747. A huge plane. All the equipment, all in one shot. That was a massive undertaking, because that was a massive tour. And I love it, because I have a picture that someone took of Ed Force One flying over Fort Lauderdale Airport in Florida on their way to the first show that happened to be in Sunrise the next night. So that was pretty cool. I love Book of Souls. I think that's a great album. To me, the third best album, maybe even the second best album since the reunion. They've done five. So guess guess where Matter of Life and Death lands in that five. <laughs> I'm not gonna guess. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pander to you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. Um you didn't see Book of Souls either. But what do you think of the album? No, I didn't. No, it's, it's a really cool album. I mean, I, I love the the intro song, If Eternity Should Fail. Um, I mean, I've, I've mentioned that before. Speed of Light is just a, a really strong song. I mean, 18 minutes, uh, Empire of the Clouds, I I don't feel like it's that long. I mean, I, I, I like that song so much that it doesn't feel like 18 minutes to me. Um, I mean, it's it, the whole album's pretty solid. Uh, my my big problem with the modern recording of Iron Maiden, and, and not even the modern era, because the live performance was just amazing. Was, I just feel like it gets muddy sometimes in the in the uh, the mixing. I guess. I think it, it was. Um, I, I can't remember if it was Matter of Life and Death, or if it was. Oh this one book of souls but there was one of them where they didn't master it and Mm -hmm. so whatever they got from the recording i think it was matter of life and death and then um because the recording for for final frontier is not too bad but the 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 book of souls is very muddy sounding and i think that's because Mm -hmm. they it was just one of those live in the studio kind of recordings they just the five guys played and and kevin shirley recorded it did very little yeah. tweaking to it. Did a few overdubs for the vocals, guitar solos, and be done. That that's part of their issue. And I, and I I'm not a fan of the, their the way they do their new recordings. I would rather them do something like Brave New World. And a lot of people criticize Brave New World, but I think it sounds pretty good. I don't know why people criticize it. Not peace of mind, or it's not Power Slave, but hell, it sounds pretty damn good. Which basically brings so- us. What were you going to say? I was going to say, so one person we haven't talked about really is Paul Diano. No, we haven't. <laughs> Paul Diano. My, I, I have no experience with Paul. I, I got into Maiden after Paul um, had already left. Um, at the time, back then, you only read about Paul and what happened through magazines and if you were a tape trader, maybe, you know, if you were into pen pals and stuff like that, I wasn't into any of that. Um, so I just got what I heard off of magazines and, 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 you know, side articles. It was a lot of, he was into drugs and alcohol and he didn't care and we had to fire him, blah, blah, blah. Those are the stories you heard back then. And there was obviously more to it. You know, he came out later on and said, hey, you know, it was a lot of pressure you know, I knew where we were headed, and I I just couldn't keep up with it, and so I had to do certain things to help my, you know, to help me get through my performances. So yeah, so his explanation of the drugs and alcohol was a little different. I like the first two albums, 
But I would like them better if Bruce was singing on them. <laughs> it's like... See, I, I don't necessarily feel that way. I, I, I love the first two albums. I would love to hear Bruce versions of them. But there there's something magical about those first two albums with Paul. Um, I don't... Obviously, I never got the chance to see him with Paul. I mean, I've only, I can only go back and watch videos. He doesn't have the same energy. He doesn't have the, the same command as Bruce. But... I mean, as a singer, I mean, he fit those first two albums really well. I think he, he I, to me, he fits the first album better, only because he had been the one who established all those songs. And some of the songs that were on Killers was left over from, from that period. And mm-hmm. I, I, he fits those songs. But I think Bruce would have done a great job on Killers. I mean, he'd done a great job on both, but... I think he would have been more attuned to Killers, and Killers would have been bigger had Bruce sang it. I don't think Bruce could do the first album and get away with it the way Paul. Paul had something special with that first album. The second album wasn't, to me, wasn't the same. But a lot of people disagree with me. But there's nothing wrong with Killers with Paul singing it. It's just, you know, I think it would have been that much better of an album with Bruce. But we we would never know that. And we wouldn't, yeah. you know, and at that time that it came out, it it, it, it is a masterpiece or not a master, it, it is a classic for, for a reason. It's the band. It's Paul's the singer of the band at the time. And it comes across well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still one of, of the most popular Iron Maiden albums. A lot of people cite it as their favorite Iron Maiden album. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people who haven't listened to Iron Maiden since Bruce joined the band, since Paul quit or got fired which is weird yeah, because you just, they just stuck themselves into a two-year period and that's it yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot of people do that with a lot of bands and i mean in some cases it's fair i mean like skid row um, <laughs> yeah that's a but, completely uh, different story <laughs> yeah in some cases it's not i mean if, if you only listen to those first few albums and you're not getting the full breadth of it and it's fair if you don't like it you don't like it i get it that but the, the, but if you never get it a chance right the criticism on iron maiden is weird because you know you're talking about two albums and they have a, a career of 16 studio albums you only won't listen you won't listen past the first two i mean it's I can understand like if you if you don't like Sammy Hagar and you won't listen to any Van Halen after nineteen eighty four, at least you got six full albums. But you're talking about a career that took off with with when Bruce joined and they have fourteen albums later. Oh actually so Bruce was on twelve of them. Yeah. Two of them Blaze and two of them Paul. And how do you sit there and say, Oh, you know, I, I that that's mind-boggling. I won't listen to anything with Bruce. I mean, come on, really? So you don't like Number of the Beast? You don't like Aces High? Um, I'm sorry. You know, if you if you like Wrathchild and you like Killers, you can like those other songs too. <laughs> you, you're not hurting Paul's feelings if you know you're not betraying him <laughs> if you listen to Bruce. Well, he's had a lot of good things to say about the the albums with Bruce, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he understands that he was not the singer, the the right singer for Iron Maiden to bring them into the era that they that they made it. I guess you would say, you know, where they exploded. <clears throat> he wasn't the right guy, 
his voice or his his stage presence wasn't going to bring him to new heights. I think they had reached where as far as they could go with Bruce, with with Paul. They yeah. needed they needed something else, and and obviously Rod agreed, Steve agreed, you know, and in came Bruce. History's history. All right. Well, we've spoken about Iron Maiden and our experiences, so now it's time to bring on the big four Iron Maiden moments as chosen by us, the debating metal crew. <laughs> so, and a huge crew it is. So why don't you go ahead and give me your big four, or give us your big four Iron Maiden moments. Yeah, you guys at, at home don't don't realize we have a huge crew of people working on this. Like, you know, just makeup artists and and uh, you know people that write the script for us. It's it's crazy. They write so. the script two seconds before we go live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, I guess let me start with number four, and this is this is a big moment. Um, Bruce replaces Paul Diano. I mean, it's what what causes the band to blow up. You know, it's it's a bittersweet thing for a lot of fans because there's a lot of people out there, like we just mentioned a minute ago, that are, are huge Paul fans. But there's no denying what Bruce brought to the band, what he still brings to the band, and that's the. I mean, it's it's a it's a landmark moment. That's my that's my um, number two moment. Basically, is the firing okay. of Paul Diano and the hiring of Bruce Dickinson. And the way I put it down is that. The, the band grew exponentially in maturity, in songwriting, and then, you know, the fans just took to it, and they became, you know, they, they got where they want, where Steve wanted to go, which was they became a big band. So that's my number yeah, two. They so mon- monumental. Yes. So you're number four, my number two. All right. So um, number three, the reformation in 1999. It's just such a big moment you 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 have a band that's on the downward decline two landmark members of the band leave and adrian and, and bruce and then you know you 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 have them living existing but not really persevering in the blaze era they're not really they're still just doing small clubs small shows and, and just not the same band that they once were then you bring everyone back together from the the classic lineup, and again, it, it they blow up. It's magic. You know, it, it's it's it, it is. It's magic. It's 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 something in the ether that you can't put a uh, a pin down on. It's just just something that 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 works. No, those guys. It's just a chemistry that's that is uh, it's untouchable with those guys. Oh yeah, um, number two. Uh, Fear of the Dark at uh, Rock in Rio in, in 2001. And I picked that specific moment because if you watch the video, every person in that audience is swaying to the music. Every person is singing along. It's, it's, it's incredible to watch. You can't, you can't even imagine that many people in unison just enjoying the moment. It's special. It is special. Yeah, I could only wish to be there in something like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, the closest thing that I've had to an experience like that is when I went and saw White Snake. The fans were singing "Here I Go Again," and this is back in 1988. So this is right after the album came out. 
they, everyone's singing here I go again to the point where David Coverdale basically put his microphone down and just started helping the fans sing along that's an as a as a musician for like David Coverdale or, or the guys in Iron Maiden that's got to be one amazing feeling that's a rush right there I mean that's that's incredible that's you that's your work that's your your property that's now no longer yours that's that belongs to everyone and they've 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 claimed it more than the band has <laughs> yeah yep so number one is something that just shocks me and blows my mind and uh, that's Bruce waiting to treat his cancer until the book of souls was completed oh wow he finds out he finds out that he has a, a, a lump of some type something going on with his throat with his tongue and and finds out that you know he's getting hints like you should probably go to the doctor you should probably go get that treated but he thinks if this is going to be it i better put this album out because it's going to last longer than i am (laughs) yeah i mean that that to me is one it's dedication and at the same time it's it's just it's I don't want to say stupid, but it, but it is, you know. No, I, yeah. I get what you're saying, and, and I don't think Bruce would get offended. It, it's a it's a crazy thought to think, hey, I'm going to go ahead and wait, however long it may have been to wait. I need to finish this album. And the amazing thing about it is, if you listen to it, you would never tell that anything's wrong with him. He, he his, oh, not at all. One of the strongest vocal performances he had done in the 20 years since he reunited. It comes across really well. I have a lot of respect for him wanting to do that, wanting to make sure this album got put out, no matter what the consequences were. But that being said, I'm glad people pushed him to go immediately talk to somebody. He went to a, a local doctor who looked at it and said, "You need to, you need to go to the hospital. You need, to, you need to get this taken care of," which is which is fantastic. So we still have Bruce. We can still go see. You know, Iron Maiden with Bruce in in concert, and we don't have a situation like like Ronnie. So, always, anytime you think something's wrong, I mean, not not anytime. I mean, if you're a hypochondriac and you, you look in the mirror and you have a pimple and you think it's cancer, then you know, maybe settle down a little bit. But, but when you really, <laughs> something, something's odd, you know, you have a lump in your tongue or, or, you know, something bizarre like that, get it checked out. Care about the people that love you and go out there and, and, and you know, take care of yourself because... I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to go see see Iron Maiden this last year. See Bruce, it was one of my favorite experiences in my life, and I'm just glad he's still around. Yes, for sure. I mean, you can't say any better. Get yourself checked out if if you think something's wrong. I mean, stick around for a while. It only gets better. (laughs) All right. Well, my big four Iron Maiden moments, there's some similarities. Um, as we mentioned, my number four pick is going to be this Legacy of the Beast tour that we just saw. It was a tour that went on in, in 2018 in Europe, 2019 in the United States and South America. Hands down, one of the best five concerts I've ever witnessed. Oh, for sure. The World Slavery Tour is my number one. I would have to say the Black Album Tour from Metallica is my number two. 
And I would say Legacy to Beast is probably my number three. There, there's probably a few others in there that, that I always say was pretty damn good. But those three hold a special place in my heart. Number three, uh, speaking of concerts, the World Slavery Tour for Iron Maiden. It was their biggest tour that they ever undertook. Just to give a few highlights of that tour, they played Behind the Iron Curtain. It was basically a 10-day tour of the Eastern Bloc countries at the time when the Cold War was still going on. Uh, They played Yugoslavia, Poland, and Hungary. And they had one show in in, in Austria in the middle of that. They had five nights that they played at the Hammersmith Odeon in late Two thousand, um, excuse me, in late nineteen eighty four, um, five nights at Radio City Music Hall. It was originally supposed to be seven. That was in January nineteen eighty five. Four nights at Long Beach Arena, which is where they recorded Live After Death for the video and the album, and four nights in Tokyo. Uh, they played two nights at the Sun Plaza and two nights at the Well City Tokyo Arena. It has a different name, but it's that's the way it's kind of known to Americans. In all. 189 shows from August 1984 to July 1985. That is one massive tour to take place in essentially a 12-month period. It's crazy. 189 shows. I mean, that's every other day. You're playing. You're playing a show every other day. That's insane. That's insane. So that is a huge moment for Iron Maiden. I mean, it, it, biggest tour. It solidified Maiden's place in, in metal history. All right, number two, uh, as I mentioned before, it's the same as your number four, the firing of Paul Deano and the hiring of Bruce Dickinson. Um, so now my number one, you also mentioned it earlier. My number one big moment for Iron Maiden was the firing of Blaze Bailey and the rehiring of Bruce Dickinson along with Adrian Smith rejoining the band. The 1999 reunion of Iron Maiden is my biggest moment of Iron Maiden history to me. Arguably, Iron Maiden is better than they ever have been. And it's all because of that reunion. That's, so that's my number mm, one. Yeah. There's a million moments you can pick from Iron Maiden. I've had, I've had personally individual moments, but they're not as big as these. So that's where we're at with that. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're to make your own list, I mean, obviously, if you have personal moments, personal experiences, those those are yours. Those are your moments to treasure, and and that's why they're your big four. For me, like when when something like that happens, where you don't take care of yourself, I've I've lost friends in the past. If you if you put your your work in front of, I have I have these mixed feelings of you know so much respect for for going and making sure that art is is put out into the world. You know, that shows so much love for that album, and, and it shows because it's a fantastic album. Um, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> we want you around. So it's just, it's such a, a mixture of feelings, and, you know, that's why that's why I had to put it at number one for me. No, that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's, it, if that's the way you feel... I mean that's a great that's a great feeling because you definitely want to make sure that just as a human being you take care of yourself and for it to be someone you know that you admire and you look up to and you you for a variety of reasons now because one he's an artist two because he did it three because of what he was going through you know it, it's it's an incredible feeling yep, yeah. those are our, those are our our big moments for Iron Maiden you know and everyone out there who's listening 
has their own if they're an Iron Maiden fan. And everyone has. And we'd like to hear them. Yeah. So if you if you have your own personal experience with Iron Maiden and you want to share with us uh, your experience, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter. Then drop us a note. Send us an email. Debatingmetal at gmail.com. You'll definitely, we'll, we'll read it. We, we might even mention it on the air. Yeah. So with that, that's the end of our big four. That means it's the end of the show. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your metal podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. We really want to hear your opinions. So please, if you've got some opinions on, on Iron Maiden or some memories, when we post our Instagram posts, our Twitter, Facebook, reach out. Let us know what you think. On behalf of Kenneth Dean, I'm Chris K. We'll see you next week. <laughs>